0: Well, it is a privilege to be with you this morning. My name is Josh Faye. If you don't know who I am, I I have worked at BlackRock for 10 years, so I know a lot of you. uh, But I lead our Sunday night service that is targeted towards young adults, but anyone can come. I expect to see some of you there tonight and uh, next week and uh, come and check us out and hang out with us. We'd love to have you there. Um, It's a privilege to be with you this morning. I was expecting my week this week to be a little different. I have five kids and uh, they're all away. So I was expecting, you know, a quiet week by myself. I I love having that many kids. It's fun. It's like, you know, it's like living in a zoo, which a zoo is a great place to visit, but I get to live there. And uh, so this week was going to be different. It was going to be calm. I was going to be able to sleep in. I I, I was going to be able to come home and just sit down. I, I, I rarely just get to sit down. Like it was going to be exciting and Calm. But I don't know about you, but for me, this week was not quite calm. In fact, it was one of those weeks with bombs and explosions and earthquakes and things going on where you, you, you lay at your bed at night and wonder, what is going on? You know, what in the world is going on? How do I walk out of my house All sorts of emotions go up and down throughout the week. Grief. Imagining what it's like to be injured or to lose a loved one. Confusion. How can this happen? Anger. Why would somebody do this? I'm assuming you, like me, went through all those emotions. And so this morning, what I would like to do is I would like to read through a passage of Scripture that I think has some really profound ideas on how we approach life. Profound ideas on how we can have a perspective that is, I would say, very different from our average world view on this. And so I'd encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4. It'll also be on the screen if you'd like. And I encourage you to listen for a word that I think is something that all of us need at a time like this. Follow along as I read. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you do or have learned or have received from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Well, twice in this passage it mentions a word that I don't know about you, but I would love to have probably even more often than I do, and that word is peace. My right? Verse 7 says the peace of God will guard your hearts and your mind. This is one of those weeks when your heart and your mind was racing. Racing all over the place. And for me, I would love to have that peace that's described there. The passage ends by saying the peace of God will be with you. Whether you were troubled by circumstances going on this week or other things going on in your life, I want to talk this morning about what is that peace that he describes there and how can we have more of it. Now, as I mentioned, I believe the biblical view of peace is very different from what our culture offers. The good news is, if you want to look, there are literally thousands, thousands of books, thousands of articles, thousands of Internet pages devoted to telling us how we can have peace. I found, I found one. You can actually go look this up. I don't know why you would, but you could. Self Magazine had an article of 12 quickie ways to get rid of stress. Twelve Quickie Ways, they included things like pet a puppy, light a lavender candle, breathe. This is a, this is a quote from the article. It said, just inhale, then exhale. And if and it, I'm dead serious. If that's too much trouble, they have a breathing zone app that you can download to help you. All right? Eat chocolate. Kiss someone. It says, pucker up. A little lip action releases feel-good hormones says, play a video game. Competing in a video game may tame tension. All right? So these are some of the ideas that are out there. And I, I'm pretty sure if playing video games and eating chocolate could give us peace, we'd probably be in a much better place than we are right now. Uh, it, now, one of the big differences, and this is maybe an extreme example, one of the biggest differences between the way our culture deals with peace and the way the Bible deals with it is the vast majority of what our culture says is actually distract yourself. Right. The vast majority of what it says is distract yourself. That's what all these things are. I have nothing against puppies, but petting a puppy doesn't deal with the things going on inside of you. It distracts you. What the Bible offers is something much, much deeper than that. So if we don't get peace from distracting ourselves, what is Peace. To understand that, I think we can jump a couple verses ahead in Philippians. If we jump a couple verses ahead in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul continues to write about this idea of peace. He says, I, meaning Paul, am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want i can do all things through him he gives me strength now we learn some very important things about peace in this passage one of the things that we learn is that peace is a learned behavior it's a learned peace is not a personality type i know you probably know some people who are sort of just laid back and go with the flow maybe you are one of those people if you are maybe you don't have to listen to the rest of the sermon but you're so laid back you don't care anyway But many of us are not, right? Our hearts and minds are racing. We have all these things going on in our head and in our hearts and we're racing around and we're going, man, I wish I was like that person who was laid back. Paul is saying that peace is not a personality type. In fact, if you know Paul, I I never met him personally, but I'm assuming that he was not that type of laid back guy. He was a guy who was the chief uh, persecutor against Christians Before he was a Christian. And then after he became a Christian, he was the chief promoter of Christianity to the point where he often got thrown in prison. He would get beaten up. Laid back people don't get beaten up that much. Paul was not by nature a laid back, peaceful guy. And so he says this is a learned behavior. Now, that's very good for most of us. For most of us, it's good news because if we're not peaceful right now, if we don't have a peace inside of ourselves, then, then we know we can actually get it. We can achieve this. We can learn it. Now, he does say it's a learned behavior. And what that also means is that it doesn't necessarily come quick. Sometimes we want instant peace, right? Like, boom, God just hit me with instant peace. And maybe that will happen. God can do that. But often that's not the case. Often peace is a learned behavior. It's something that comes by orienting our hearts and minds towards God's more and more as we grow. And so the beauty of that is, again, this is something we're learned. If you didn't know how to play the piano and you came up here and Pastor Jim taught you that, you know, middle C note on the piano. And then you said, you know what? I'm ready to go. Pastor Jim, you can just sit down for a minute and I'm going to go ahead and play the rest of the service. He would probably tell you, you're not quite ready yet. Pushing the one note is not quite good enough to lead a whole service. And much like that, peace is actually a learned behavior. It's something that can start small. If you're not peaceful right now, it's something that starts small and builds over time. As you grow in your faith, as you grow in understanding some of the things we're going to talk about, it builds. To me, that's a very encouraging thing. Because wherever you are on that peace continuum, you know you can grow farther. You can grow a little bit. You can progress in having more and more of this peace that God offers us. Now, we learn here, too, that peace is an inner calm. It's an inner inner equilibrium and poise. And the reason that's important is because we learn that peace is not based on our circumstances. The truth is, most often we think it is. Even if we don't audibly say it, we do. We say, I'm not peaceful, so what I need is a different job, or a different spouse, or a different family, or a different place to live, or a different... If I just had more physical security or financial security, then I would have peace. If you're honest with yourself, much of the time, that's what we say. That's what we feel inside. And Paul says that actually is the exact opposite. In fact, if you know the history of the Bible... Most often, the people in the Bible that had the most peace were in all sorts of trouble. All but one of the apostles were killed because they chose to follow Jesus. And the one that wasn't was exiled. But the people that we see, the heroes of our faith, are often in some of the worst circumstances. Paul is the greatest example. He's in prison when he's writing this. Often we think, oh, if I change my circumstances, then I'll have peace. Paul says that's not the case. Peace is not based on our circumstances. it is based on something deeper. And that again is a good thing because a lot of us are in places where our circumstances may not change, and we keep on holding out this hope that hey, if it changes then I 'll have peace. and ultimately, that won't give us peace. So peace isn't a distraction. If peace is this learned inner poise and equilibrium, how do we get it? How do I get that peace? Well, in the passage we read, Paul gives us some really good ideas on how we do that. The passage that we first read starts off with the phrase, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he goes on to say, The Lord is near. The first place that we stop to actually have this inner peace is to understand that we need to trust that God is good and God is near. Jesus gives a great example, a great image of how we can think about God in in one of his stories that he told in Matthew chapter 7. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If you're even a halfway decent parent, and I would consider myself, I think, halfway decent. I actually heard once that 90% of Americans think they're above average. Uh, Took you a while there, but that can't can't be. Only 49% could actually be above average, just for those math wizards out there. I I would say, you know, I might be a slightly above average parent. When you're a parent, your mindset changes. Your priorities change. And Jesus is telling us that we actually can think of ourselves as children of a God who cares deeply about us. I remember once I was walking with my kids. I was just walking down the sidewalk, and we happened to come to a spot, and there was a little ledge like next to the sidewalk. For some reason, ledges next to sidewalks are like magnets for kids. Do you ever – I mean, like you're walking with they, – they never will walk on the sidewalk. They have to walk on the little ledge next to the sidewalk. So I'm walking down the sidewalk. I'm, you know, maybe a step or so ahead of my kids, and, uh, I'm, and, and there's a little, you know, six-inch ledge. They step up on it because that's what you do if you're a kid. And so I keep walking, and I turn back, and the problem was the ledge rose as the sidewalk went. So as I turned back, my two-year-old is now like six feet off the ground, right? And so I turned back and instantly, like everything, it's like you're in slow motion, right? And you're, you're running to your kid. And thankfully, I got there. I got to the point I was able to get my daughter down and put her back on the sidewalk. But when you're a parent, you care so deeply about your kids. I mean, as me, you know, maybe slightly above average parent. Like when I saw my kid in danger, the first thing was, my instinct was, i got to go. I just stopped. And I ran. What this passage says is that if you understand what a halfway decent human parent is like, if you multiply that times maybe a hundred billion, you still don't get to how much God actually cares about you. Right? This passage says, if you... Even though you're a really messed up parent like I am, even though I'm a pretty selfish parent a lot of the times, if I understand how much to love my kids, then God, who is so much greater than I, loves me even more. So, one of the first questions we need to ask ourselves is do you believe deep down in your bones? that God loves you that much? Do you believe deep down inside that God loves you that much? Because often we don't. We think, you know, I I think there's a God. I I think He's out there. I I think He's pretty good, but He's got other things that He's concerned about. You know, not not me. I'm I'm just a slightly above-average guy who's got some... Issues going on with work and family and life and health. And, and God doesn't care that much about me. But the Bible says, you're wrong. He does. A hundred billion times more than you can even imagine. God deeply, deeply loves you. Every single one of us. He knows the hairs on our head. He designed us. He created us in his image. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is actually Ephesians 2.10. It says we're God's workmanship. We are specific works of art. Actually, the Greek word in there is poema, where we get the word poem. And what it's saying is that each and every one of us is actually a work of art designed by God. The way you look, I never liked having red hair growing up. I didn't. I never liked it. When I was a kid, I had, like, bright orange hair. God designed me. He created me to have red hair. I never understood that. Now I like my hair. I'm losing some of it. So I like what I have even more. God designed me specifically. And He specifically designed you exactly the way you are. He loves you that much. Not only that enough should really give us peace, right? To know that the God of the universe loves us that much, that should give us peace. But there's actually more in here. Not only does God love us, create us, but God's near, right? It says that in that verse, that God is near. And often, again, we think, you know, God's off doing some other stuff that really important work somewhere else in the world that he's needed. But this said God is near. One of the deep truths of this is that God's presence is always bigger than our problems. God's presence is always bigger than our problems. So the first step of having this peace is knowing God is good, God loves you, and God is near. Which leads to a second part. We read in that passage in verse 8, That it says, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And sometimes we can think about this kind of like the world's view of distract. Like, think happy thoughts. Go to your happy place. If you watch Seinfeld, serenity now, serenity now. Uh, Sometimes we think that. That's not what this is saying. It's not saying just go to a happy place. In fact, what it starts by saying is, think about what is true. What this actually means is to think deeply. And again, this is very different from our culture. If you go and look up some of these books, often they jump past any sort of deep thinking and try to get to practical things like petting a puppy and lighting a candle. Again, I'm not against puppies. But the whole point of this is actually think deeply. Think deeply. Because the way you actually replace all the stuff that's going on is you replace it with a deep understanding of who God is and what he's done. You, under, you replace it with the things we've been talking about. An understanding that God loves the world. That God loves you more than you could imagine. And actually it helps to ask ourselves questions like, why does the world exist? Why is there evil in the world? What is my purpose in life? Often, our culture says, you know, avoid those things. Just go and kind of distract yourself. But the real truth is if you understand those things, that's what gives you this deep equilibrium. If you understand that God created a perfectly beautiful world and humanity did choose to mess it up. Or we chose to sin. And not only that, we continue to. Every single day we choose to mess up this beautiful world that God created, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in horribly terrible ways. But we still do. But there's also more to that truth. The more to that truth is, in this world, God chose to redeem it. He chose to send his son to live, to die, to rise again. And the reason that's so important is we know the end of the story. We are not living in this world in the fact that we wonder what's going to happen. We know the end. That makes all the difference. A little while ago, my kids were asking to watch a movie, and so uh, they wanted to watch the movie How to Train a Dragon. Have you seen that movie? It's, it's a pretty decent little animated movie, uh, and what's, they had actually seen it before. My kids had already seen it before, but they wanted to watch it again, and it's a movie about uh, this boy who finds a dragon, and the, the environment that he lives in, these dragons are like the arch enemies of the people, all right? And so you're really afraid of the dragons. And in the beginning of this movie, they, they try to set this up by showing you how kind of scary these dragons are. And they ultimately, if you've seen the movie, the boy becomes friends with the dragon, and they all live happily ever after and live together. But at the beginning, it's scary. So we're watching this movie with my kids. And again, my kids have seen this movie. And my son, who's about six years old, starts getting really afraid. Right, they're showing these scary dragons, and he starts getting really afraid. And so I pull him aside, and I say, Ian, you know the end of this movie. You've seen this movie before. You know that these dragons really aren't that bad. You know that they all become friends. You know that they all make it in the end. You, you know that. He's like, yeah, but I'm still scared. And the truth is, that's basically what God is saying to us. We know the end of the story. We know that God wins. We know that God loves us. We know that God's working things out. That makes all the difference in the world. Because as crazy as it sounds, God actually does not promise us protection. God does not promise us security. God does not promise us perfect health. What he promises is to be with us and to redeem it all in the end. That's what God promises us. And that's how we can actually have that inner poise and peace and equilibrium, no matter what the circumstances are. No matter what's going on, we know that God is with us. And we know the end of the story. We know that all the things we suffer will ultimately be redeemed in the end. We know that God wins. No matter what's going on right now, we know the end. And that allows us to walk through life without that fear, without that stress, without that weight, On our shoulders. If we're not at peace, it's really because we're not thinking. Again, sometimes we think, I need to shut down my mind. I need to distract. And God says, no, what you need to do is put your thinking in the proper perspective. What you need to do is think deeply and actually think about doctrine. Think about why the world exists, who God is, and what's going on. And as you do that, you begin to replace that fear, that stress, with peace. Also in these verses, we get even more. I mean, it could be enough that God loves us, right? That God actually deeply loves us. That's enough to give us peace. That God is with us. That we know the end of the story, but God actually offers more. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that we read, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Now, we know more than just doctrine. We actually know that God is not just out there, good, creating us, but God is actually personal. God actually wants to be a part of our everyday lives, and so it says you can talk to Him. Go to God. Give your request to God. Go and talk to Him. Tell Him what's going on. He's there. He wants to hear. Share what's going on. Be honest, too. Don't pretend you're better than you are. Don't pretend you're feeling better than you are. Just go to God and say, God, hey, this is what's going on. This is the way I'm feeling. This is what's going on. Hey, God, please help me out. But then this passage has a really interesting point. Again, very counterintuitive. It says, with thanksgiving. What's interesting about that is it actually says that you should give thanks before you ask your request. Usually the way we do it is we ask our requests. If God gives us what we want, then we're happy. Job, my, oh God, my job is bad. Can I get a new job? I get a new job. Yay! My car broke down. God, I, I need some help here. is fixed. Yay! And what it says here is to ask with thanksgiving before you ask. Why is that important? Because you will never fully have this Peace until you acknowledge that God is in control and you're okay with whatever He does. The truth is, one of the reasons we don't have peace is because we want to be God. We ask requests, and if God does things the way we want, then I'll be happy, then I'll have peace. God, if you give me what we want, then I'll have peace. Who's God in that situation? It's us. So what Paul says here is you can actually come and be thankful before you ask. Why? Because you know God is good. You know God loves you. You know that God is actually going to do what's best for you if you knew everything. And we don't. We don't know everything. But if deep down in our bones we know God is good, God is for us, God is with us, God is working everything out for our for to working things out for our best interest. If we know that, we go to God and say, God, hey, this is what I want. But not my will, but yours be done. And when we can come with that attitude, when we can come with the attitude of thanksgiving before we even ask, that's when we have poise. That's when we have peace. I want to end with one last verse. One last verse that for me, during even just over the past few months, has been an anchor for me. It's been an anchor for me, and the verse is from Romans 12, 21. And it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And sometimes we can hear this verse and say, Hey, that means we should go be nice, and you should go be nice. But it has a far more deeper meaning. It means that the things that we're struggling with, the things that are going on, will be overcome by the only thing in this world that is actually good. The Bible says there is only one thing that's good, and that's God. The truth is God is the only thing that overcomes evil. But we get to see it, and we get to be a part of it. A few months ago, there was a woman who came to church, and I had the pleasure of meeting her. She was a successful, had a good job, woman in her early 30s. And very articulate, seemed like, you know, had things going on very well. She started to come to church regularly. And uh, I saw her there and would say hi to her, have brief conversations. After about three months, she came and she pulled me aside. She was like, Josh, I've never felt this way. And I was like, Oh, what'd we do? <laughs> that was my first thought. Maybe not the best thought, but what'd we do? And she's like, No, 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 no. She goes, I never felt this way. She goes, I, I've deeply struggled with fear, with anxiety. I was always nervous at my job, and it led to just discord with my coworkers. I was paranoid about relationships and always led to unhealthy relationships. I struggled just to, just to go through my daily life because I felt this pressure. I felt this weight on my shoulders of all the things going on in the world, all the things going on in my life. And she goes, Josh... I, I can't really explain it, but I feel like this has been lifted. I feel like as I've been coming, I've been hearing about God, and and I understand about this Jesus and all the stuff that you guys have been talking about for three months, and, and I can't explain it, but this has been lifted. There's a weight that's off my shoulders. And that's what God's talking about in these verses. He's saying there's a way that that weight that we feel on our shoulders, the confusion that we feel, can be replaced by a deep sense of calm, a deep sense of peace that peace that comes from knowing God is good. He's good. He's actively working in our best interest. And yes, there are things going on that are struggle. One of the verses that was I didn't mention from the slides, it says, "Do not be." It says, "In this world you will have trouble, but take hope I have overcome the world. The way we can walk around with peace, we can walk around without that weight on our shoulders to know God is good. God is with us. He loves you more than you can imagine. And we know the end of the story. And then it says, do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good, which means that is what we can share with people. That is what we can offer people. We can walk down the street in a different mindset that allows us to have peace, and we can share that with people. We get to be a part of helping the world have that type of peace by introducing them to who God is and what Jesus did. Let me pray. God, I want to thank you for who you are. Again, I think many of us would admit that often we live separated from the deep truth of who you are. So God, I want to give each of us just a a moment of silence here to be able to tell you, God, this is where I am. This is what I'm feeling. This is how I am right now. So if you're in this place, just quietly in your heart, Tell God what you're feeling and where you are right now. God, I want to thank you that you promise us. If we simply come to you, let us, letting you know where we are, you will begin us on a path to learn peace. God, I know there are some people here this morning who desperately need peace. They've got things going on in their lives that they feel that weight. God, I pray that you would remove that weight right now. Literally lift it off their shoulders. Allow them to walk out of here lighter in step, knowing there is a God that cares about them, that is good, that loves them. God, I pray that you would help every single one of us to walk around this world with a different mindset, knowing the story, knowing that you win, that God wins, that we're redeemed. And I pray, God, That you would help us all to continue to grow and learn the peace you designed for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thank you guys for being here. Just also let you know there are people from the prayer team that are willing to pray for you up front. And we'll see you next week at Ward High School.